Well, amen. Have you had a good week this week? Okay, some of you are having to think about that. Are you glad you're here today? Okay, that's, that's better. I had an interesting uh, week. My, uh, my wife's brother-in-law uh, passed away and, uh, in his 50s and uh, complications from diabetes. And, you know, at his, at his funeral, and uh, as I preached one even earlier in the week right here, you know, you look over a guy's, a man's legacy, a person's legacy, and then you start talking about his family and his good life. But the main thing, so I was sitting back there thinking about the whole thing. I said, you know, God, the main thing is, is that Mitchell is in heaven right now. When you think about it, <clears throat> every funeral really takes you to a point of your own mortality. And all of us want to leave a good legacy behind. We want to leave a good family and no, no, there is no legacy like your family. And yet, the major thing is, the main question is, is this person in heaven? Well, as much as I know uh, what a man can know about another man, uh, Mitchell is. Now, how do I know that? How would he even know that? And, and how would I come to the place where I would say that, yeah, a person can know that? In fact, the question that was asked me way back in college that really kind of made me really process the Christian life, really think about it, rededicate my life in a lot of ways to the Lord. If someone asked me the question one time, Dwayne, if you were to die today, do you know that you go to heaven? And you think about that question for just a moment, because if you know that, then you sort of have a tendency to want to live like that. I mean, you should. But a lot of people would say, as I've asked that question to hundreds of people over the years, they would say, well, you can't really know that. I mean, you can't. That's presumption. That's arrogance, really. But what they're failing to do is to recognize the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what they're thinking of is this. If you can work your way to heaven, and that's what kind of they're trying to do, and when merit with God, how do you know you have enough merit? How do you know you're living clean enough? How do you know you're working hard enough? You can't know that. And if you're trying to get to heaven on your works, you, you will never know really whether you're saved or not. And you're going to heaven. And other people say, well, it's just, it's really a feeling. You know, you have, you have a feeling some days that, boy, if, if I were to die today, I, I just know that I'm close enough to God, I'd go to heaven. But some days aren't, I don't feel that way. So they're going by their feelings in some way. So let me ask you a second question. And that is, if something were to happen to you today and you were to stand before God and you were to, he would ask you the question, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? What would be your answer? Well, I want to look at that answer today, but I also want to look at applying it to your life. You know, so many people have said, pastor, I've invited Jesus Christ to my life a hundred times. In fact, one of the speakers was a stepson who was called to the ministry, and he's in the ministry. In fact, he's a missionary. And he was at the funeral, and he was doing um, some speaking. And he said, I've invited Jesus Christ in my life 150 times, and it never worked until I just surrendered my life to Christ. So what if I were to tell you that you could pray that prayer one more time, and it would last the rest of your life? And you would have a full assurance of your salvation. And as we notice the first John, we open to that book, 
First John chapter 2, and I'll be also looking at uh, chapter 5 here in just a moment as well. As we look at this book, the, this book is coming at the end of the century, first century. It's one of the last books that was written. And one of the reasons, he says, I, writ, I wrote this book to you, in fact, the reason, at the very end of the book, he says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So it is possible to know it. According to the Bible, it is possible for you and I to know that we're Christians. Now, the question comes up, well, what if I don't know that? Does that mean I'm automatically not a Christian? Well, not necessarily. We'll look at that again in just a moment. But as we look at this passage, we're looking and saying, well, there is a way that we can know it. In fact, 33 times in this book, he said, he uses the word know, K-N-O-W, He uses that word, and so he's trying to come to a place where all the people in that day, writing to this church, writing a general epistle, really, to a region of churches, as they were coming in with false doctrine, false prophets, he was saying, no, 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 you can know that you have eternal life, and eternity is too long to be wrong. And so do you know it? Do, do, Do you know it today? Do you know that for certain? Well, I want us to look at the scriptures this morning. I want to look at three things. Number one question, why is it important to know that? Why is it important? I mean, who cares? What, is there an importance, a value to it, a worth? Secondly, what are the evidences of that salvation? You may be saying, hey, I just prayed that prayer and somebody came along and said, well, 1 John 5, 13, you can know you have eternal life because you receive the Lord. And so that's automatic, but you don't, you don't feel saved. You, the, the spirit of God does not bear witness with your spirit. You have all kinds of doubts in your mind. And there are people here, by the way, who are saying to, to themselves, well, I really don't need this message because I don't doubt my salvation. But there's many others here that really do need this because you do struggle with it. And so what are the evidences of that? And how could you know today? Walk out of this room today knowing that if you were to die, you would go to heaven. Let's look at it. First of all, I want us to see the importance, the the value of knowing all this. 1 John 5.13 tells us that we can know we have eternal life. Now, notice in verse 4 of chapter 1, just looking back. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. He says, look, if you want to have joy in your life, then you need to have the assurance of salvation. Now, he's not saying in this book that if you don't have that assurance, if you don't know that, you're automatically not saved. But the value is this. You cannot doubt your salvation and have real joy in your life. You cannot have that kind of confidence in God that you and I really need. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. Now, I know whether I have a gift or not. If you give me a, a, a Christmas gift, for example, it'll probably be the first time you've given me one, but that's all right, <laughs> I'm not complaining. But if you give me a Christmas gift and I open it up, I'm gonna know whether I have that or not. Some of your children get a bicycle for Christmas and you say, well, how do you enjoy your bicycle? Well, I don't know whether I have it or not. What do you mean, what bicycle? Well, you, the one you rode today. Oh, was that mine? Do I get to keep that? No, he knows whether you have it or not. Now, if he says, I'm trying to save my money for a bicycle, 
Well, how much money do you have? And he tells you, well, is that enough to buy a bicycle? I don't know. It was two, three years ago when I started saving, but I don't have any idea now. How much is enough? Well, he's got to somehow find that out. But you know whether you have a gift or not. And the gospel is all about that free gift. It's not a presumption. It's not an arrogance because you either have something that God has given you or you do not. And what happens, that gives you confidence, gives you confidence in prayer. In fact, let's, I just want to read a verse to you, a couple of verses. Right after that verse 13, where he says, you can know that you have salvation, he says this. This is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. What, what confidence? How can you have that kind of confidence when you think, well, I don't even know if that promise is for me or not. I mean, I think I'm saved. I'm pretty sure it's for me, but I'm not sure. There's, there's no confidence in prayer. There's no confidence that you're going to heaven. There's no confidence that God is present in your life right now. There's always a wondering, how can you have joy if you do not have assurance of salvation? Many of you probably have read this story uh, many times over in history, but when the Golden Gate Bridge was built, in the beginning, 23 men died. They, they fell from the bridge down to the ground or the water, and they died. And they looked at it and said, what can we do to alleviate this somehow? So they put a net there. They put a net all the way across where they were working. And from then on, only 10 people fell into the net. And they did 25% more work. Why? Well, the fear was taken away. They had a confidence in their life. So God wants us to have that confidence. He wants us to know that we belong to him. He wants us to know that he is there. He wants us to know that if we were to die right now, we know that we'd go to heaven. And so we want to take as many people there with us as we possibly can. That confidence that we have in him. Well, so what are the evidences? Again, somebody says, well, I prayed, I prayed, and I prayed, uh, you know, receive Christ. I keep praying that prayer. And other people say, well, I, I know I'm saved. And, and yet, if, if you're put on trial for your faith, very few people would rise up and testify to the fact that they feel like you really live the Christian life. So what is it? Somebody says, well, all you got to do is pray this prayer and you're, you're good for life. You're good for eternity. Is that all there is, really? Well, sometimes we want to take the book of 1 John, and we're, we're all guilty of this, I think, uh, in churches. And we want to take chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. Here's, again, what it says, beginning in verse 11. It says, um, let me just turn to it. He says, and this is the testimony, the witness, the testimony that God gave us eternal life. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. So, we share Christ with someone, the, the best news, and we get to the end of it. They pray that prayer. We turn to that, those verses like that, and we say, well, you prayed that prayer, right? Well, that means you're saved. Well, is that all there is to it? Well, the rest of the book of 1 John builds up to chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. What does it say? Let's look at these evidences. First of all, there's Christ's work on the cross. Look in verse 1 of chapter 2. My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may know that you may not sin. Now, he's, he's already tell, told them in chapter 1, verse 8, 
that if they say they have no sin, they're not of him. They're a liar. And so John is not trying to teach us that we've got to be perfect, but he is trying to teach us something. He says, I'm writing these things to you. You may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a lawyer, Jesus Christ with the Father, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we know, have come to know him. He says, look, he's the propitiation. What's it talking about here? It's talking about what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Now, why do we have to bring this out? Because so many people misunderstand the gospel. I mean, they've heard it maybe all their life, but they, it just doesn't register. I heard it from the time I was six years old to the time I was 12 years old. I heard it every single Sunday. It was all around me until one day it clicked. We just don't seem to get it sometimes. And this is what John's bringing out. He's the propitiation. Now that word, big theological word, basically means that Jesus Christ took on God's wrath. He appeased God's wrath on his body. The Bible says the, the wrath of God is poured out on all ungodliness, Romans 1, 18. Jesus Christ died on the cross. When he died on the cross, he shed his blood on the cross to pay for our sins. And so when we invite Jesus Christ into our life, he is through propitiation. He died on the cross for our sins. He took our wrath. He took our hell for us. And God says, look, if you want to know the way to heaven, it's through Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can take, be a propitiation for your sins. This is the gospel. It's not based on works. It's not based on feelings. It's a free gift of God. And it's, it's vital that we believe the facts. You can't, unless you believe those facts, you cannot be saved. You say, well, I think I can be saved this way or that. No, God determines how a person is saved or not. We are the ones that have offended him and every sin that we, we, we practice or every sin we do is against God. Now, it may be against other people too, but they're all against God. He is the one. He is the God of the universe who decides how a person is to be saved. And if you're, we're looking to work our way there, we'll never know. We'll just, we'll just never know. But the true gospel says we can know because it's a free gift. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and all we must do is receive him. But there's, there's a life after that. You make that decision, then there's a walk after that. And that's the second thing in your outline, your walk as a believer. In verse 3 it says, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. We keep his commandments. How do we know, it says, we know him. Now, this word know really has a couple of little um, nuance of meanings to it. It does mean the facts, but it means an experiential relationship as well. You know it by experience, but not only that, but it's a deeper word, meaning to penetrate. And so God is penetrating your life. In a sense, you are penetrating his life. It's like sitting down with someone that you really know, but you don't know. And you have this long lunch with them, and they begin to be transparent with you, and you begin to be transparent with them, and you come away from that table with a completely different relationship. It's a transparent, you've, you've penetrated someone's heart, and they penetrated you. God says, 
I want to have that kind of relationship with you. What does that result in? What is he saying here? It's a changed life. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When you and I receive Jesus into our heart, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside. The, the Godhead comes to live inside our uh, body and soul represented there by the Holy Spirit of God. And think about it just for, you, for a moment. How in the world can someone receive God in their life and not change? No, it's a, it's a whole new life. It's a whole new desire. Your eyes are open to the truth. Your heart is open. Your, your heart is softened and open to the things of God. You want to help people. Your, your life, your mind begins to slowly change and become more and more like Jesus Christ. But he says you do that by keeping his word. This word, keep, is an interesting word. It really is a, a nautical term. It has to do with someone, a sailor, looking at the stars and guiding their, uh, uh, their journey by the North Star and the rest of the stars, and they're looking up into the heavens, and they're, they're keeping vigilance. They're watching very closely so they can see where they're going even in the night. Well, what does the Bible say about keeping his word? Jesus said this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did, not did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. I, I never penetrated you. You never penetrated me, you workers of lawlessness. He's simply saying, look, if you've received Jesus Christ, and keep in mind that was a Sermon on the Mount, so he was preaching to get people to realize that they needed a Savior. But you and I know as we keep his commandments, we, we allow the Bible to be the value of our life. We, we allow the Bible to guide our life like the stars guiding the sailors. We allow the Bible to be the, the north star of our life. Then, what do we have? We, we have a, a new worldview. Uh, we don't surrender to things like peer pressure. We uh, don't lo just love popularity more than anything else or money more than anything else, promotion, success ahead of God. Why? Our, our life has been changed. Then I want you to notice it says in verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner which he walked. How, I mean, how in the world would I do that? How can I be perfect? It's already said in, in chapter 1, you, you're not perfect. But so how did Jesus walk? What is it talking about? Well, we look at verse 7 and find that out. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. He's talking about loving one another. This new commandment I am writing to you, which is in true in him and in him, because the darkness is passing away, the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Loving one another. How do you do that? Well, you forgive one another. You don't become embittered against someone else. I mean, you're nice to people. You're friendly with people, of course. But you serve others. You put others ahead of yourself. There's a changed heart in the evidence here. Philippians 
In Philippians, Paul said it this way, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you not only to his own, look after his own interests, but also the interests of others. You see, if we say we hate our brother, there's something missing there. Either something is missing from the doctrinal side, that you're still trying to to trust your own works and you're struggling back and forth and you haven't really trusted the grace of God or you haven't really surrendered your heart. As we said, salvation is a situation where the Trinity is involved. You bow before the Lord, humble yourself before God and there is an act of worship to the Father. You humble yourself before Christ and he becomes the Lord of your life. You surrender to the Spirit's working in your life and begin to walk in the Spirit of God and receive His power in your life. It's not about walking according to what your feeling, our feelings are, but according to God. And then there's the Word of God. That's the other evidence. And I, I know I've spoken on that, but I want to say something about it in a different way. And that is this. When we receive Jesus in our heart, we've got to do it by faith. The Bible says anything done without faith is just sin. You can't please God without faith, Hebrews eleven six. See, so many people have prayed that little prayer that I pray at the end of most services, and they pray the prayer, and they're not really sure that's really happening. They don't pray it in faith. And they get through the prayer, well, I hope that worked out for me. I hope that, I hope, you know. No, you have to pray it saying, God, I'm trusting you, not only what you did for me on the cross, but I'm trusting you that when I call on your name, that you're coming into my life. I believe that. I trust your word. I trust 1 John 5.13, that you can know that you have eternal life. I trust Romans 10.13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I trust that what you said in John 1.12, as many as received him, to them gave you the power become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. I trust you, God, that when I say that prayer, it's not just I'm just throwing it out there and trying it out, but I'm believing that you're doing something uh, for me. What does it mean to really trust? Well, in a salvation sense, certainly a good story about this is uh, the lawyer and that in, in the passage to India, book, movie. And you notice in 1 John, Two, uh, two, two. It says he or two one. It says he's an advocate. Jesus Christ is our advocate, our lawyer. Well, there's a story of a lawyer. Passage to India. In this story, India and England was back in the day when they were <clears throat> fighting. They were trying to. India was fighting for their independence, and England didn't want them to have it. And so there are always case studies coming up to put maybe the Indians in a little bit people from India in a bad light. And one particular thing was a doctor. Uh, being inappropriate with an English woman, an Indian, Indian doctor that had a great reputation, never had anything, no accusations whatsoever. In fact, uh, in the story, the people, in the story, the people of that town were convinced that there was nothing that really went on. This is just one of those other cases where they're trying to do something uh, to this man and to someone in, in their town. So, in the story, the man is arrested. He cannot afford a lawyer. He's poor. Uh, poor doctor. And uh, he can't afford a lawyer. And no one will take the case because they don't want to ruffle the feathers of England. 
but one man, very bold, the best, in fact, the best lawyer in all of India decides to take the case pro bono, free, no charge. And he became that man's lawyer. Now, he wanted to put England in their place, but he also kind of wanted to glorify himself maybe a little bit too, according to the story. But in the story, he comes forward and he becomes the advocate for this Indian man, this Indian doctor. Now, there are, I think, of three ways this man could have uh, responded and rejected this. He did accept it, by the way. He was thrilled to have the best lawyer in all of India. But he could have said, look, uh, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't really feel worthy to have the best lawyer in India. And I, I just don't think I'm going to give him a call back. I, I just don't think I'm going to call him. He could have done that. He could have said, look, I don't want you as my lawyer. I want to represent myself. It's my life. I can do with my life whatever I want to do with it. And I think I'm better off trusting myself than trusting you as my lawyer. And I reject him. Or he could have said, look, um, yeah, I'd love to have you as my lawyer, but it is my life. And so when you go into that courtroom, you do what I tell you to do. And you take orders from me. I'm running the show. Isn't that how we sort of reject Christ? There are some people that say, I'm just not worthy. This is what I've done with my life, and I've wasted my life, and I've sinned. And God can forgive all of your sin. We have other people that may be sitting here today and say, look, you know, it's just all fine and good that Jesus died for somebody, but I can do this myself. I can get to heaven on my own. I don't, I don't, I don't need Jesus. And there's others that say, oh, no, I want, I want Jesus in my heart. That's for sure. But as he comes into my heart, I'm going to run my own life. I mean, he's got to take orders from me. He works for me, not the other way around. Those are all rejections of the Lord. But here we find that Jesus Christ, in fact, this lawyer came, and he represented him, and he represented him in the very best way. And it was, this man was just saying to, to, to his lawyer, look, I just trust you. I have a lawyer. I have a lawyer. And because of that, I trust you with everything. I'm getting out of the way. You just tell me what to do. At the same time, when you and I receive Christ into our life, we say, God, look, I can't save myself. I can't be successful on my own the way you really count success. I cannot have the joy of the Lord in my heart and joy in my life and completeness and fulfillment in my life. I'm taking my hands off my own life and I'm, I'm giving it to you. And I'm trusting you as my Savior. Well, you trust the Word. But I understand, eventually the Spirit of God has to tell you you're a child of God. You can walk out of here and I, I know that you can do all the right things and still not know. Because the Spirit has to bear witness with your spirit. It talks about it in John 4, in John, uh, 1 John. I do want to read this verse to you to connect everything. It says, by this we know that we abide in him, we live in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. As we said before, you cannot be saved without the spirit of God. But here he goes on to say in Romans 8, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Sooner or later, the spirit of God just has to let you know it's okay. I'm with you. If you were to die right now, 
you would go to heaven. You say, well, that's, what, that's the feeling I'm trusting. No, I'm not talking about a feeling. I'm talking about all this other stuff first. And the, and the consequence of that is that God's going to come and to you and ease your mind and assure your heart that you belong to him. So how do we do that right now, today? How do we, how do we approach this? What do we do? The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible puts it this way in Romans 10, 9 and 10. These are key verses. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes that he is justified or unto righteousness. And with the mouth, one confesses that he is saved. A confession. Something about that nails it down. Something about the confession and then, and then the baptism. But the confession says, I, I am, I'm true to my heart. I really believe it with all my mind, my might. And because of that, I, I need to tell someone else about Jesus. It just, it just brings it to fruition. There's a completeness there. Not being ashamed of the gospel. When I was on this uh, trip, and uh, in fact, we, we had the funeral yesterday, and um, uh, my brother-in-law, my other brother-in-law, I've got several, actually, and, uh, but Pam's brother, uh, pastor, for 34 years, and we were talking, and I, I uh, pulled out my little track here, and I showed him wherever that thing is. Yes, here it is. Yeah. I, I pulled out my little track, and I said, what do you think about this? And I... Um, Gave him the best news track. I knew I was going to have to witness to somebody before I came here today, so I witnessed to a pastor. <laughs> Not really. I'm just kidding. But I showed him the QR code on the back. He said, man, that, that's where people are living today. That is really, really good stuff. And so he began to share with me, and he's been a witness, all, good witness all of his life, how, how he and uh, Debbie, his wife, were in Walmart and, uh, recently. And uh, they were there, and uh, Debbie, his wife, started sharing Christ uh, with one of the workers there, and she asked him the question, if you were to die tonight, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? And he says, no, I don't know that, but I sure would like to know. I'd like to know that. And so she shared Christ with him. Mike kind of gathered around with him, praying for him. And she said at the end, she said, would you like to receive Jesus Christ right now? We can just pray right now, and you can receive Christ. And he said, I'd love to do that. And he dropped to his knees right there on that tile floor. Dropped right to his knees right there. And they kind of looked, and so they, they got down on their knees too. And they prayed, and he responded and received Jesus into his life. And getting up, Mike said, he, I just turned to this guy, young man, and I said, I'm so proud of you. He said, you wouldn't believe uh, how many people don't even talk about their decision for the Lord. And here you are in the midst of this storm. People were passing, you know, they could feel people passing them by as they were bowing their head. And he said, we didn't even ask you to get down on your knees. In fact, we didn't even think about it. But here you are in the midst of everybody looking around at you. You're willing to do that. And the young man said, oh, I'd be afraid to be ashamed of the Lord. You see, taking that public stand, in just a moment, we're going to give you a chance to do that. And I'll encourage you to do it. But let me assure you that it's not unusual for you to doubt 
your salvation. It happens to many people. Just like the lady that you're about to see, recognize my wife, Pam, on this video. When we moved to Fort Worth, Texas to go to seminary, it was there that I began to wonder if the intellectual knowledge that I had of Christ was the same as my heart knowledge, and I doubted that it was. You see, I was saved at a young age. At the age of six, I made a decision to receive Christ into my heart, and then I was baptized. But as I grew up, I realized that I didn't really remember that time. I only remembered that people had told me that it had happened, and I had seen pictures of the time that I was baptized. At this time, when we were in seminary, I began to doubt whether or not I had received Christ. I was pregnant with Brandon at the time and began to wonder why and how I would even tell him about Jesus when I wasn't really sure that I knew who he was myself. So we had gone to church that Sunday evening, and the message was on assurance of your salvation. And I, we were lying in bed that night talking, and I asked Dwayne what he thought of the sermon. And he said, well, it was good, but it really didn't apply to me. And my response was that it did apply to me because I was unsure. At that point, I got down on my knees beside the bed and said to, to God, Jesus, if I have not received you into my heart, I pray that you would come in now and that I would never doubt whether or not I had received you as my personal Savior. Since that time, I haven't doubted, and I found confidence in, in my faith that I had never had before. And I know that if I were to die today, that I would go to heaven because I belong to him. Amen. Uh, that night, it was, it was a real shocker to me, you understand. I mean, she'd been a pastor's wife already. We were in seminary and, um, and lived a wonderful life, and so I was very shocked. And the only thing I could think of was to share with her a story that I'll share with you that I heard just a couple of years before. And um, it goes like this. There was a farm boy that was uh, a Christian. He was a church member, but he's always doubting his salvation. You know, he'd come forward. Now, a lot of you have prayed a prayer. Well, we used to have it where we came forward every Sunday and had a big altar call, you know, in churches all around. And um, this young man would go forward every few weeks and rededicate his life to the Lord or invite Jesus into his life all over again. He was always having these nagging doubts in his, in his mind. And so one day he was working out on the farm. He was having lunch under a, the old oak tree right there, his favorite spot. And he just said, Lord, I just want to pray one last time. I want to nail this thing down. And so, God, I pray that I've, if I've never been saved, I pray that you would save me now. I pray that you would come into my life right now. And so he prayed that, and then he did something kind of unusual. He grabbed his stick, took his pocket knife out, and, and carved in that stick, saved, and put down the date. And then he took a rock and hammered that stake under that tree. Well, he was on cloud nine for a couple of weeks, and then he began to doubt again. But instead of fretting, he just said, Satan, follow me. And he took him to the old oak tree and said, there it is right there. I remember it. Saved. And it even has the date. And he never doubted again. And so my wife that night got down on her knees and she prayed, God, if I've never been saved, would you save me now? Is that the prayer of your heart? If maybe you're a church member, but you lack that assurance, you just don't know. In the last service, 
a lady that has been a member here far longer than me and far longer than anybody else here in this church, I think. She's in her 80s. She came forward in the service. And everybody thought, I don't know, maybe she was a counselor or something. And so finally, one of our staff members turned to her and said, you know, what, what can I do for you? And she said, I need to be saved. Mid-80s, just an hour ago. What about you today? What about you? One last time that your joy would be made complete. Let's stand together. And here's the invitation today. Here's the invitation. If, you're, if that's the prayer of your heart, you know, maybe you've never been saved. And you know that. The time to come is right now. I want you to come and stand right here in front of me, and I'm going to pray with you. If you're here this morning and say, well, I've got all kinds of doubts. It keeps coming back. I want to pray one last time. You come forward right here, right here, and I'm going to pray with you one last time. One last time. You'll never have to do this again, and Jesus, that Jesus Christ will come into your heart. You come right now. Just make your way forward. Just stand right here in front of me. Oh, just, that's right. Just come on. Let's, let's give these a round of applause, all right? Let's clap for them. Amen. Well, you can do better than that, right? Let's encourage them. Let's encourage them. In fact, we're clapping for you even before you come. You come right now. Young people, come. Young adults, come. Senior adults, come. Right now. Now, let's keep, keep clapping. Come on. You can do that. It's not going not gonna to hurt. Let's do it. Come on right now. That's right. Come on. I'm going to nail this thing down once and for all. Right now. You come. You come right now. Amen. Others need to come. Right over here to my left. That's wonderful. What about over here? Up in the balcony. You come right now. Make your way out. We're going we're gonna to close the invitation in just a moment. Let's, let's encourage these. You come right now. I want to nail this down. Oh, nobody knows that I doubt. Hey, you'd be surprised, but it doesn't matter what they think. You can take a stand for the Lord right now, right? Not being ashamed of the gospel, not being ashamed of what Jesus Christ can do for you right now. Others are coming right now. Let's just, let's encourage them. That's a great day in their life. Greatest day of all right here. You just keep coming right now. Amen. Amen. Others that need to come. That's right. Just make your way on out. Just come right here and stand right in front of me, all right? Just come on up. Come on up right here. If y'all don't mind coming in a little bit closer, Derek, come on up, all right? Y'all just come right on up. All right, amen. Others, are you getting tired of clapping? Come on, just a little bit more. One last chance before we close the invitation. You come right now. You come. Boy, it's just going to be so, I'm going to pray with you right now. You just come right now. One last time. Anyone else? Amen. That's great. Anyone else? Anyone? Amen. Amen. Well, as I pray with these that have come forward, I would invite you. Some of you, I mean, your mind is working a mile a minute. I've been where you've been. I remember sitting, standing at every invitation in my church for two years before I made my decision. I was shy about it, didn't know about it completely after, you know, what am I getting myself into? That's all about trust. You trust the Lord that you're better off following him than going your own way. So I pray, as I pray, you, you just keep coming, keep coming forward. 
And now, guys, if y'all just kind of gather in kind of tight, okay? Come on, come on up. Just kind of gather in tight. And uh, if anyone here wants to pray this prayer with me out in the auditorium, you're welcome to. But I'm going to especially pray with these right now. Now, I just address you and just uh, say to you that if you've, you want to receive the Lord right now, pray this prayer with me. It's one last time to nail it down. You just pray silently as I pray out loud. Lord God, thank you for your love. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. I accept the gospel message. I believe it. And if I've never been saved, if I'm not a believer, I pray that you would save me now. Come into my life, forgive my sins, and give me the assurance in my heart that you are there. And in praying this, God, I pray trusting you with my heart, but also trusting you that you are actually coming in, believing that you're doing that, that you're saving me because of your great love for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.